So there's an interesting exchange between the Buddha and one of his closest companions, Ananda, that has been passed down through a sutta. And you may know this one. But Ananda reportedly said, This is half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie. The Buddha was reported to have replied, Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is the actually the whole of the holy life. I love that. So what are the ways we can be an admirable friend and companion to our own experience, our most intimate friend, the practice? First of all, just a little about friendship. We can have role models, teachers and Dharma friends, whom we've seen in action, especially those who seem to have a friendly relationship with this process of being with this practice for many years, even a lifetime, with you know all the unwholesome attachments and conditioning that they that keep parts of us struggling with dissatisfaction, stress, or outright suffering for so long. But as we listen to Dharma friends, acquaintances, you know, folks that we hear and see on these retreats, these day-longs online, friends, teachers, over time, we might start to adapt or internalize some of what we hear them saying and taking an admirable uh, practitioner as an internal role model. So listening to others who are further along in practice can simply provide us with some confidence that they made it to a, a place of greater happiness. And so I can too. Uh, this has been true for me with Gil Fronstahl and Andrea Fella, my two main teachers. As I heard them, not that often, but I he- I've heard them describe times earlier in their lives when they felt they weren't good enough and that how that fell away over time. And I thought, really? You thought you weren't good enough? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's true. They, they came through a long path of discovery and recovery. So that information has kept me going through many a rough patch in practice. And it's helped me to hold on long enough to begin to see that attitude of, you know, not being good enough, softening and starting to fall away. Maybe parts even having fully fallen away. So not only can we benefit from what we hear from more experienced practitioners, Dharma acquaintances, friends, we can also internalize that sense of companionship. And one of the hallmarks of a great companion is listening with care. We can learn, and we've been doing this all day on various levels, listening carefully to our inner voice. We're learning from what it's telling us. Here's how Rachel Naomi Remen describes this. The most basic and powerful way to connect to another person is to listen. Just listen. 
perhaps the most important thing we ever give each other is our attention. A loving silence has far more power to heal and to connect than the most well-intended words. So the most important thing we give ourselves is our attention as well. You've just offered yourself and each other the loving silence of a day of meditation and listening deeply, being present deeply for what's coming up inside. The silence we offer ourselves can be objective, clear-minded, unsentimental, and caring, loving. All these different modes of silence that support the unfolding towards freedom over time. In a deep friendship, when we don't completely understand a friend, maybe you've had that experience, you've been going along great for years and then they do something or they're behaving in a way you really are thinking, what on earth? And maybe even contemplating ending the friendship. The commitment of friendship helps us stick it out with some friends, waiting to come to a better understanding of what's going on. So this friendship within may call upon us for acceptance of experiences that are foreign to us. Uh, We gain the maturity in this practice to know that not all struggles are identical and not all skills are equal. So, you know, even if we're looking at a friend and we see what they're struggling with, if we're mature enough, we know even if we face the same difficulty as they are, we have different skills. We're coming from a different place. And we know very well that what might be easy for us isn't necessarily so for our friend and vice versa because we're different people with different conditions. So we can come to know that in the same way in our own practice as we befriend ourselves. We we accept that there are times that there is experience cropping up that is unfamiliar. Sometimes it can almost feel like we've forgotten how to meditate or our practice is falling apart. And at times like that, I have found that sticking it out and simply agreeing not to have to know exactly what's going on has served well. So later, sometimes much later, it's often been the case that what was happening was some old conditioned habit or idea had fallen away, and that's why experience was feeling so unfamiliar. Something new was emerging, something old was dropping away. So it was a helpful movement forward to let go of the old and simply be present with a feeling of, or a thought of, what is this? And not having to have the answer. Along with this question, what is this? We can continue to ask, is this helpful or not so helpful? Wholesome? or unwholesome. What we're watching as we ask these questions was described by the Venerable Sariputta in a sutta uh, that has come down to us on right view or wise view. Sariputta is quoted as saying, 
When a disciple of the noble ones discerns what is unskillful, discerns the root of what is unskillful, discerns what is skillful, and discerns the root of what is skillful, it is to that extent that one is a person of wise view, one whose view is made straight, one who is endowed with verified confidence in the Dhamma, and who has arrived at this true Dhamma. Now what is unskillful? Taking life is unskillful. Taking what is not given. Sexual misconduct. Lying. Abusive speech. Divisive tale-bearing. In other words, telling stories about other people that tend to divide or make people take sides. Idle chatter is unskillful. Covetousness. Ill will. Wrong views are unskillful. These things are termed unskillful. And what are the roots of what is unskillful? Greed is the root of what is unskillful. Aversion is a root of what is unskillful. Delusion is a root of what is unskillful. These are termed the roots of what is unskillful. And by the way, I have heard from uh, some teachers that we uh, love and trust that if we uproot those three things completely, we will reach complete freedom. So as an aside as well, this is what we're exploring when we're asking, is this wholesome or unwholesome? We're paying attention to whether greed, aversion, or delusion are present. And these are not personal failings. They're just, they are natural phenomena that arise in the conditioned human experience. And what is skillful? Going back to the sutta. Abstaining from taking life is skillful. Abstaining from taking what is not given, from sexual misconduct, from lying, from abusive speech, from divisive speech. Abstaining from idle chatter is skillful. Lack of covetousness, wanting. Lack of ill will, not wanting. Wise views are skillful. These things are termed skillful. And what is what are the roots of what is skillful? Lack of greed is a root of what is skillful. Lack of aversion is a root of what is skillful. Lack of delusion is what is skillful. So it's important to note here that the absence of these things is skillful, wholesome, helpful. So in our practice, it's good to notice when afflictive states are absent. We also learn enough to know that as we change, our experiences change and the mind changes. So sometimes change shows itself in what is no longer here, no longer true. You may, you may have already noticed this in your practice. Wow, you know, I, I don't do that anymore. I don't think that way anymore. So we can't keep assuming the same set of assumptions or views or ideas about ourselves or others, um, or the even the notion that we can count on the same old skills and that will solve all of our suffering. We're constantly changing. And what we used to think or used to do may no longer be applicable. And that's why we are befriending the practice of awareness 
the practice of paying attention to what's coming up right now and what's not here right now. So, of course, there are no one-size-fits-all ways through this. This is why befriending your experience is so important. There are helpful insights along the way, helpful tools, and enough commonality to be able to look generally at the process together. But ultimately, we will each have to arrive at our own liberation. And the way that goes is going to differ significantly, even from our own prior experiences or that of our closest friends. You may know this one. There are times when we have to be very patient. Even an admired companion sometimes makes choices that don't match our understanding of how the world works or what might be right for them. And the same is true as we companion ourselves. There are sometimes uh, such deeply conditioned habits that even when we notice they aren't helpful, we can't yet free ourselves from them. You know, we see it over and over again. And at times like that, we can extend the patience of compassion with how things are right now. William Shakespeare wrote, a friend is one that knows you as you are, understands where you have been, accepts what you have become, and still gently allows you to grow. So gentleness towards ourselves is sometimes the only way an obstinate habit or piece of suffering will, over time, gradually, gradually let loose. If a trusted companion does something we find unpleasant, we may have to practice forgiveness. Likewise, we may do or say something we don't fully understand or that we have to forgive, especially when we're still caught in stress, dissatisfaction, suffering. We can sometimes notice, ooh, that wasn't the best thing I ever did or said. If we can stay present with, as we discover patterns in our behavior, you know, aversive patterns or greedy patterns or delusive patterns, things we don't understand or we find unpleasant, our study of it over the long term, the gradual practice, our perseverance can help us finally learn deeply enough for these things to let go of us. So for mindful pra- mindfulness practice to continue and to deepen, we commit, it helps to commit deeply to befriending difficult experiences, being very patient with ourselves, with what is at the frontier of our understanding, what we don't get, uh, what, what we know isn't great, but we can't easily resolve it or move, move away from it, move forward from it, I should say. Um, I wonder if this might be the, the area of practice for which we have to be the most admirable friends and companions to ourselves in order to move towards freedom. Sharon Salzberg in the Kindness Handbook writes, instead of thinking that growth and understanding will come from doing battle 
with aspects of ourselves or thinking that they will come from enmity towards emotions, memories, and longings that we actually can't keep from arising, we discover that kindness and compassion for ourselves is the best and most healing trajectory for transformation. The most difficult experiences in practice, is, is what she's telling us, are the ones that call on us to fully embrace with awareness what's coming up, what's occurring in this moment, and getting away from our ideas about things in order to simply be compassionate, pay attention, you know, be kind. It's like the trust we might place in our closest friend when experience has taught us that the friend is trustworthy. Sometimes that allows us to suspend doubt that arises as we watch them do something new and unfamiliar. So uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, The glory of friendship is not in the outstretched hand, nor the kindly smile, nor the joy of companionship. It is the spiritual inspiration that comes to one when he discovers that someone else believes in him and is willing to trust him. In our meditation practice, in our mindfulness and daily living, maybe we can let go of ideas about ourselves and even give way. Uh, we don't have to believe in anything uh, in particular, but we can trust, if we can learn to trust this awareness of what is happening moment to moment and that that slowly or sometimes rapidly unwinds towards freedom. Uh, we can find spiritual inspiration in trusting and developing confidence in this practice, gradually seeing its power to move in the direction of freedom. Befriending our experience so completely that we can start over and over and over again in the practice. I bet everybody here has done that plenty and not take things so personally. In other words, to practice awareness, becoming admirable, intimate friends with our own experience. We extend these qualities to others in our lives and make the world a kinder place. And I just can't say enough that ultimately we'll each have to arrive at our own freedom and it will differ the way we go about that from our closest friends, from things we've done before. And this is because of inconstancy, one of the three characteristics of human existence, sometimes called impermanence. Experience is impermanent, inconstant, and the way we understand it keeps changing. We shed our mental constructs along the way. There's nothing worth holding on to that's going to be our life raft for the whole time. We can only continue to show up for, be aware of what's happening now, and over time that will provide us with the insight we need 
for each situation, and that can take a long time, which is why it's called the gradual practice, and why, you know, I'm signed on for a lifetime. I'm I'm here for this, you know, I don't care how long this goes on. It does gradually start to lift off some of the difficulty. So it has gotten better like a slow dawn, you know, where you're just watching sky and thinking, I think it's getting a little lighter out there, but it's not full sunlight yet. So by remaining friendly, intimate, with both the wholesome and the unwholesome as they arise, we can treat them as messengers that are simply showing us the path we're on, the fork that leads towards more freedom, and the fork that leads back into suffering. We can choose to take the fork towards more freedom. Uh, being a friend to experience may also help us in not personalizing what's happening. It all occurs as the result of very complex causes and conditions, very few of which are yours alone to control. As I said before, our culture, our families, our relationships, a lot of conditions go into shaping what has happened, and so we don't need to take it personally. Experience can become this friend telling us and showing us where freedom can be found. So I thank you very much for your kind attention to what I've said. I hope it's helpful. Um, and I want to invite a few final moments of reflection. Um, just sitting with your experience for a minute or two here. And, and reflecting what might be something you'll take away with you today. It could be something you learned some form of befriending experience that you'd like to continue. And just letting yourself, letting that bubble up, if it wants to right now. May everything that we have experienced today and are being aware of it, receiving it, allowing it, letting it change us bit by bit, may all of these experiences lead to freedom for us and everyone around us. May we touch others 
with the kindness and care with which we increasingly practice befriending this experience. May all beings be free of suffering.